on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. Let's talk about healthy church leadership. This week's Stylist magazine shared a feature about bullying leadership, particularly toxic bosses, psychopaths in the workplace, as they described it. They shared the story of a lady called Grace, who's 36 and works in public relations. She heard that her boss had a glowing reputation from industry peers before they started working together, but the reality turned out to be anything like what she'd heard described. It was a Jekyll and Hyde situation, she said. It wasn't long before she learned that her boss liked to monitor her employees' every move, watching their personal social media accounts like a hawk. She also never switched off from work, Grace explained, and she expected the same from us. She had messaged me from 6am through to 10pm and expect a response right away. But what concerned Grace most was that her boss seemed to be utterly devoid of empathy. She was a bully. Now, the article continued, almost everyone has a horrible boss story. The one that wouldn't let you take a day off for your birthday or your grand's funeral. The one that got their assistant to do their laundry. The one that everybody went to the pub to vent about. Horrible bosses might well be commonplace. But let's step back from this for a moment and think about how this might apply to us in churches. The Church of England recently had to launch a major investigation into leadership abuse in the sole survivor camp. Bullying leaders, Christian leaders, that can coerce, manipulate, and outrightly control people, they have an ultimate weapon in their hands, the Bible, misused in order to control. God's people are just that. God's people. So let's think about healthy leadership. Let's be willing to challenge leaders when they step over the line. And just to balance things, let's think about how we can bless our leaders too. Healthy leadership, tonight on Lucas on Life. We're talking about healthy leadership. The worship time had begun well enough, but now even the most seasoned, Duracell-fueled, charismatic types were flagging. Arms that had been raised in adoration were slumped now in weariness. And people who were dancing in worship, who 30 minutes earlier were fluid yet graceful with energy and dangerous with flags, even they were quiet and still now. But the large overweight and frankly overbearing worship leader, his belt fighting a losing battle to support his overhanging stomach, he was just not satisfied that we'd done our bit in worship. And according to him, heaven above was apparently not satisfied yet with our offerings of praise either. More specifically, he had no patience for slackers because, as he said, Jesus was worth praising, wasn't he? He roared breathlessly down into the microphone. If we didn't raise our voices, the stones would cry out, wouldn't they, eh? Like a bunch of schoolboys caught puffing illicit ciggies behind the bike sheds, we nodded our tired surrender. Even the band was a bit fed up with it all. The keyboard player stabbed the first note of the song with just a little attitude. I wondered if he was fantasizing about poking the overbearing worship leader in the eye. I go to lots of these kinds of meetings and services, and I enjoy most of them. 
But every now and again, I feel unutterably weary of it all, and I wonder if perhaps the Lord gets numbed too by our exhausting routines when we actually end up worshipping worship. Let's face it, omnipresence has its drawbacks. I've often wondered if Jesus had ever regretted promising when two or three gather together in his name, he would be there. Now, Bubba, the worship leader, had decided that we all needed to forget about ourselves, our problems, our lives, and the person next to us, thus negating the reason for us coming together in the first place. I could have stayed at home and more easily forgotten about the person who was not next to me, and that we should raise our hands together to the Lord right now. Here's the truth. He was bullying us. I looked around the congregation and a a silent sigh seemed to be expressed by, sorry. I looked around the congregation, a silent sigh seemed to settle in the air, hands were raised in resignation, and then marvellously, gloriously, it happened. The worship leader, his own arms akimbo, had breathed out one time too many and his valiant and long-suffering belt buckle exploded with a loud ping that caused a number of older worshippers to jump in alarm. In a second, his trousers slipped down all the way to his ankles, revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts that were apparently manufactured by Mr. Walt Disney because Mickey and Minnie, their cartoon arms, were also raised, perhaps in worship, and were running all over his underwear. Immediately, the poor man reached down in a desperate attempt to retrieve both his errant clothing and his modesty. The members of the congregation, now an unwitting audience in a striptease, attempted unsuccessfully to be warmly compassionate. Many blinked their eyes closed, desperately trying to focus on heaven. They were so desperate to contain their mirth but their eyes were pious slits and their shoulders shook quite uncontrollably with mirth. It was a wonderfully liberating moment which became even more bizarre just a few seconds later because as he fumbled with his now-retrieved trousers, the worship leader leaned into the microphone and whispered, "'It's amazing what the devil would do to you "'when you're trying to lead worship.'" Nervous brothers all around the room immediately felt led to check their own belts in order to outwit the enemy in his deceitful scheming. But in that moment of hilarious humanity, the spell of control was gloriously broken. The command that everyone obey, conform, get in line, was shattered by a moment of real life. No longer did we have to be harangued intimidated or harassed into yet more uniform singing, the spell, if you will, was broken along with the belt buckle. Those of us who are leaders must never lose sight of the fact that God's people are just that, God's people. They are not sheep to be herded, fodder for our vision, or fools to be patronized. They, rather, are unique poems written by God. We may exhort encourage and invite. But those people are just not ours to harass, harangue and manipulate. They belong to Jesus. Let's always remember that when we shepherds attempted to become ranchers, hollering, herding cowboys, rather than those willing to lay down their lives for the flock. The eastern shepherd goes before the sheep, leading them, not behind them, driving them. And of course, 
we men should also remember and be diligent in these days of spiritual attack to double-check our belts. It was the day I almost got into a fight, and I'm not talking about a war of words. I met a thoroughly unpleasant chap, and it almost came to blows. Now, I know it's a bit odd for a Christian minister to confess that he came close to a punch-up, but it did happen, and as soon as it did, I knew I had to share the experience with you. Before you listen to some more, let me issue a health warning. I'm about to introduce you to a real-life nasty piece of work. My wife Kay and I were in Chicago airport eagerly hunting for a snack. The concourse was packed, the atmosphere dank with the mild despair that descends when multiple flights are delayed due to weather, with everyone hopefully and occasionally hopelessly staring at the departure boards. Peckish, we entered a teeming restaurant and found the last two chairs at a shared table. Across from us, a very expensive-looking bag, all fur and leather, occupied a seat. We assumed it belonged to a man who sat next to it, but we were wrong. An older lady came by and inquired about the bag. Is this yours? she asked ever so sweetly. Nobody around the table claimed ownership. Immediately, the soul who wins my rude man of a lifetime award made himself known. He was young, good-looking, dressed in designer clothing with flashy jewellery. Sitting up at a bar just across from the table, he barked, that's my bag. I don't want it on the floor, so leave it alone. When I've finished my meal, I'll move it. Mouths open wide around the table, aghast at the suggestion that this elderly lady be made to stand while this posh but inanimate object a bag, occupied the only available chair. This was absurd, it was rude, it was crass, and it was bullying. I decided to take action, and perhaps a little louder than necessary, invited the lady to take my chair. She sat down and then smiled and whispered, perhaps you could teach him a lesson. Emboldened by her encouragement, I walked over and gently tapped Mr. Rude on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir, but have I understood... You want this lovely lady to stand and wait while you eat because your luggage is that important. I must confess to feeling a little heroic in that moment, and even just a little smug as I recount it. He glared back at me, his deep blue eyes cold, and then he snapped back, his thin lips tight. Now look here. It seems that you're the gentleman and you gave her your seat, so it's good. Yes, and that's when I knew that we were at a point of no return. His icy stare made his message clear. Just say one more word and I'm going to hit you. That's what he was thinking. I decided to not say one more word for a number of reasons, which includes me being allergic to pain. And then it's awkward when ministers get into an airport fight and get arrested. And also I felt like my job had been done anyway. I'd made my point. And you can call me a coward. And you might well be right. But back at the table, we chatted happily with the older lady. Eventually, this young, bag-obsessed, blue-eyed person stopped to pick up his priceless baggage, and with a rude parting shot, he headed out to catch his flight. But I was incensed that I spent the rest of the day internally fuming about his staggering gift of arrogance. He was, I say it again, a bully. Our flight was delayed further and I wandered around the airport hoping to see him to pursue our chat a little further. Perhaps providentially, I didn't find him. 
But then I started thinking, which, as I've often said, can be dangerous because obviously his attitude was somewhat extreme. But I wondered how often I can be just like him. I can drift into an unhealthy attitude as a Christian leader because that young man in that moment, he failed to see a person, a lady who needed a chair. And those of us who are Christian leaders can do the same thing, especially because we deal with people a lot. And this is not a concern that's reserved for Christian leaders. The busy doctor in the casualty ward is told that there's a broken arm in cubicle six, rather than recently widowed Mr. Jones, who is desperate for the briefest warm chat. The shop assistant yawns, indifferent to the customer, who's become just another commodity, and the pastor. And the pastor, the minister, the priest, looks out over the congregation, seeing a crowd, noting Sunday morning attendance numbers and offering figures, not noticing real flesh and blood people with hopes, dreams, needs, and heartaches. You see, unhealthy leadership doesn't begin with bullying, it ends with it. When we start treating people as commodity, that's when the problem starts. All around us are people, unique, needy, hopeful, helpless, fascinating people. Let's notice that they're people, God's people, and then those of us who are leaders will be healthy in our leadership as a result. As we've been thinking about healthy leadership, especially healthy Christian leadership, let me say that over the years and because of the miles I've traveled, I've come in contact with lots of vicars, priests, elders, and pastors. I've met selfless, hardworking souls who pour out their lives for churches and communities. I've met a few ministers who don't work that hard as well. I've met servant-hearted types whose ideal night out would be to gird up their loins with a towel, grab a bowl and head for a local foot washing. And sadly, I bumped into a few power-hungry bullies who really need to know that bullying is absolutely out of order for any leader, especially for Christian leaders. Now, I know because I'm biased, I'm a pastor, and given the choice between engaging with pleasant, encouraging, smiling souls and those carping critics who make piranhas look like tame goldfish, I'd obviously choose the latter. But I do think it's worthwhile thinking about how this week we might be creatively kind and encouraging to those who lead us. If the leadership in your local church is healthy, be very, very glad and grateful. And leaders don't always have an easy time. They frequently take the blame for God. When people are not happy with God, they might blame their leaders. Sometimes they're required to preach and say things that they're preferred to say. They can be a target for gossip, and they themselves don't have a hotline to God. So why not this week, be aware that the vast majority of Christian leaders are ordinary people. Notice that God only uses ordinary folk because nothing else is available, and they are simply doing their best to respond to a vocational call to help people to discover Jesus. So, if our leaders express healthy leadership, let's go ahead, make their day, and maybe help them out by being nice. 
Have a great week. Lucas on Life.